0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is David Greenhaw, and I am an ordained minister of the United Church of Christ, serving as the interim senior minister here at Naples United Church of Christ. It's good to see you here in the sanctuary and to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We want to extend a special welcome, as we do so many Sundays, to the folks gathered at uh, Bentley Village. Um, We had a wonderful uh, opportunity to keep visiting there and uh, to connect with more folks there. So welcome to you and all of you joining us online.
1: And I'm Reverend Angela Wells-Bean and it's my privilege to serve as your Minister for Congregational Care. We'd like you to ask ask you to register your attendance with us this morning. You'll find those blue attendance pads in your pews. Please take a moment to fill it out and pass it down the pew to your neighbor. And if you're online, please let us know where you're worshiping from in the chat box. And while you're there, you can click on the link for the bulletin, which will open the bulletin in a PDF so that you can follow along in the service order with us.
0: And speaking of the bulletin, there are lots of announcements in the bulletin. We hope you'll take a time to look at them. Um, I got lobbied by the chair of the board of deacons this week to call out that this week is uh, to pay special attention to the golf outing. I hope you're better at golf than I am. Um, I, uh, you know, you've heard that line about golf is a walk in the park spoiled. Uh, uh, it's a walk in the park frustrated when I uh, do it. So, uh, but I hope if it's not that way for you, you'll join the group in golfing this week.
1: And we did something really interesting this past Tuesday, didn't we? We
0: did. We had a really interesting week. We, uh, both of us, really are fairly new. Angela is the old-timer. She's been here almost a full year now. And uh, so uh, I said to her when we got here, I said, Angela, that's how I said it. I said, Angela, I said, Angela, do, uh, is there an interfaith group here? And she says, well, I don't know. And she said there were uh, traces of it she'd heard about. But uh, there wasn't a vibrant, active one at the present moment. And so uh, we uh, planned and invited a group of uh, religious leaders from the Naples area. We went online, we looked it up, we made this stuff, and we invited a group to come. And we had, what, almost a dozen folks gathered uh, this week. And uh, it was was splendid. Uh, uh, Church leaders, rabbi, folks from other communities, it was really just good to to get together, and gosh, part of what we did was we talked about how COVID has affected all of us. But we also did some conversations about
1: an interfaith thanksgiving service which has apparently happened in the greater naples community in years past and has gone dormant for a few years and there was enthusiasm from our colleagues about resurrecting that this year so that will happen the week of thanksgiving stay tuned for details and logistics we will be sure to be publicizing those
0: i think it'll be a a great opportunity i've always thought it's too late to develop friendships in a time of crisis develop them in normal times so you can stand together when you really need each other. So uh, we hope you'll uh, join us for that Thanksgiving service and listen in on more as we develop and work with the interfaith community in this area.
1: And one other thing I want to draw to your attention this morning is that this past Wednesday BOMO voted to create a refugee resettlement working group, and so there is a fledgling group of folks who are looking into what it would mean to help resettle a family here in the greater Naples area and to be a co-sponsor in that initiative. So. If this is something that you're interested in, learning more about, or helping out with, you can see page six of your bulletin for details. Barb Bachman and Bob Nordland, Barb and Bob, of BOMO are heading heading up that initiative. You can find their contact information in there. But this is a very exciting prospect for our congregation that we might be able to support folks who are looking to make a new home here in our area.
0: And now let us uh, settle our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship. Friends. No, really, friends. Friends, people who want to be together, who miss each other when they're apart. People who like to play together, to laugh together, to eat together. Friends. Friends, let us gather. Friends, let us gather to this space, to this moment, with God who befriends us as we gather to worship.
1: I now invite you to turn to your bulletins and join me in our invocation, which we will offer together. Let us pray. We thank you, living God, that in Jesus Christ you have built a house not made with hands, a people among whom you live. We thank you that you have called us And that we belong to you. We come now longing to know the touch of your spirit, that we may be encouraged to serve you in the world. Come to us, that we may recognize you and sing your praise through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to be in a spirit of prayer with me as I offer this morning's pastoral prayer. Let us pray. God of all time and space, thousands of years ago, these words were uttered. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. These were important enough for your people to remember throughout history And we thank our forebears for recording these timeless words in our sacred scriptures, for they still ring true for us today. Our ancestors were not immune to suffering or pain. Grief wasn't easier thousands of years ago. Hearts were broken, people were disconnected from you, and they tried to reconcile their relationships with you. We don't know if you're supposed to be the speaker of these words or if it's the prophet Jeremiah, but either way, we can feel solidarity with the pain of our ancestors. They, too, experienced the human conditions that we struggle with today, and they turned to you for consolation. You cry with us when we mourn. You lament with us when we feel separated from you as deeply as we long to connect with you, we trust that you yearn for that same connection. And when we hurt one another, we know that you denounce our hate-filled actions because you created us to know better and do better. You have sent us prophets and teachers, healers and visionaries throughout human history who have shown us how to draw closer to you. If only we would follow their example. We confess, O God, that we worship the false idols of greed and envy, vanity and power and pride, and we lament that our heretical actions probably stir you to righteous anger. We are aware that the invasion of Ukraine has entered its sixth month, and while you are far beyond the human form, we imagine you with your head in your hands, weeping. Weeping over the lost lives, the destruction caused because one nation wants the land of another. This is a tale as old as time, and yet we never seem to learn. Please, O God, send the spirit of this prayer to the people of Ukraine and Russia, that they might know that they're on the hearts and minds of their siblings on the other side of the world. We pray for all those who are grieving loved ones who have died, for those who are injured. We pray for those who are permanently traumatized. And we pray for those who have been sent to fight in a war they do not believe in. Help us turn towards healing, repairing the breach, reconciling relationships with one another and with you. And help us to savor the healing balm of the love we experience from friends and family, that unexpected phone call or letter, The warm hug, the laughter of a child, the dinner invitation, the warmth of this church community. There are healing balms all around us. Help us to have the eyes to see them, the bodily awareness to experience them that they might draw us into deeper relationship with you and one another. Each of us goes through moments of our lives when we are grieving, when we cannot find joy, when our hearts are sick. In those moments, may we remember that we are never alone. We are held in the arms of love by you and by this community. And may we each have the courage and the faith to offer the healing balm of your love to others in their hour of need. We offer this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus, the risen Christ, who first taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, This morning, scripture reading comes from the Hebrew Bible from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 8. And if you'd like to, you're invited to follow along as the words are printed in your bulletins. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. May God bless our modern hearing of these ancient words.
0: A United Church of Christ minister wrote a prayer that he later uh, published. He started praying this prayer in the mid to late 1930s. He'd pray it in events that he went to. He'd pray it to himself. The prayer goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's now prayed almost every time a group of Alcoholic Anonymous people gather or other 12-step programs. It is known as the Serenity Prayer. And the United Church of Christ minister who wrote it was Reinhold Niebuhr. I have to take a moment of bragging Reinhold Niebuhr was a graduate of Eden Theological Seminary, where I was president for 23 years. Niebuhr uh, wrote this prayer and prayed it often, and he had been hearing, he was German in background. In fact, when he grew up in Wright City, Missouri, just down the way from St. Louis, his church was in German language. It was the Deutsche Evangelische Kirche of of there, the German evangelical church of that village. So he was used to German, and he had German friends who in the 1930s were writing him and telling him what was going on in Germany about the rising storm with Hitler and the Nazi, the National Socialist Party. He was hearing more and more the way Jews were being herded and eventually killed. And it was distressing for him. And Niebuhr, who was teaching at the time at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, started to worry and study and fret over over this rising storm. And he was afraid. He was afraid that America... Because of World War I, because we were weary of wars and other lands, wouldn't do much, that isolationism would be the day, way, that the people would say, if there's trouble in Europe, it's their troubles and not ours. We will leave them to it. But Niebuhr, who had himself been a pacifist in his youth, And he believed that war was not the way to resolve differences. Niebuhr, who was a pacifist, sought the courage to do something about Hitler. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. But the courage to change things i can he was invited to give a series of lectures a famous series called the gifford lectures in edinburgh the university of edinburgh in scotland and he prepared those lectures they were in two sequences the first was given in nineteen thirty eight and the second in nineteen forty those lectures were eventually published in a collection known as The Nature and Destiny of Man. And he hoped in these lectures that he might be able to give the moral courage or, or help the moral courage of America to do something about what was going on in Germany. About the same time he was praying that prayer, a man who would become his very best friend was a rabbi living in Poland. This man who was living in Poland, this rabbi, went from Poland to Germany to study. But the Gestapo arrested him there for being a Jew and deported him back to Poland. His name was Abraham Heschel. Abraham Joshua Heschel. Heschel was contacted by a seminary president. I have to tell you, whenever I hear a seminary president does something heroic, I get all puffed up. A seminary president at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati forged the ordination papers of Heschel so it would be possible for him to escape Poland and Germany and come to the U.S., and Heschel did, teaching first in Cincinnati and then in New York. Heschel settled in the U.S., but he did not fully escape because three of his sisters and his mother were killed by the Nazis. Heschel was asked if he would ever return, and he said this, He said, if he were to ever return to Germany or Poland, every stone, every tree would remind me of contempt, hatred, murder, of children killed, of mothers burned alive, of human beings asphyxiated. Like Niebuhr, Rabbi Heschel also wrote a two-volume set of books. His was written after the war instead of before. And in that, he, that set of books, they're called The Prophets, two volumes on The Prophets, The Hebrew Prophets. In those, he says that he set out to do what The Prophets were doing, to reconcile God and man. In 1939, you may not remember this exact statistic, But in 1939, there were about 11 million Jews on the entire planet, on the whole world, not just in Europe, but everywhere, Israel, the US, everywhere, 11 million, 1939. By 1945, there were just about 5 million left, 11 million to 5 million in six years. The near obliteration of a race of people this troubled as you would expect a rabbi who'd lost his own family in the holocaust it made it difficult for him to embrace God again because of the atrocities that happened in the world to his people to his own family and he tried to figure out how to reconcile this to to make this make sense to him and so he wrote this book on the prophets his book the prophets has made a profound difference in the lives in my own life in the life of many because he does something in it that is just very different very odd he he wrote that the prophets were affected by catastrophe this is what he says when the catastrophe came About the prophets. And the enemy mercilessly mercilessly killed men, women, and children. The prophet must have discovered that the agony was greater than the heart could feel. That the grief was more than his soul could weep for. He wrote that about this text we read this morning. That this prophet is trying to find the tears to weep the terrible things that happened to his people. That was interesting enough for me, but what was more interesting is the next move that Heschel makes. Heschel had the audacity uh, to do something I rejected at first. I wasn't so sure it was the right way to go. He started to talk not only that the prophet was speaking for himself, that he was weeping, that he was upset, that his grief was, was there, his joy was gone, that the summer had passed, the harvest was gone, there was nothing less. The prophet had all of that. But Heschel says it's not just the prophet's word. It is about God about God, that God grieves as well. This idea that God is full of passion, Heschel uses the word pathos, that God is not sitting up on a throne looking down on the world, disinterested, kind of fiddling around at the edges. But instead, God is in the world and affected by the world and transformed by the world, changed by the world. That grief and troubles and problems are God's griefs and troubles and problems. They're not just ours, but they affect God. This idea that Heschel sets free and starts to get going has changed my own thinking and life about who God is. It changes the way we think about who God is and the way the world is. That God is affected and feels and has pathos when the prophet says is there no balm in Gilead is there no physician there isn't there anybody who can do anything isn't there anybody who can stop this nonsense isn't there somebody who can have the courage to move forward it resonates with the prayer of Niebuhr to have the courage to be a balm to do what you can you cannot do everything we cannot do everything but there are things we can do about the troubles and worries of the world there are things that can be affected by us but not everything we must find the serenity hard as it is to accept the things we cannot change And, of course, that delightful prayer of Niebuhr, that we find the wisdom to know the difference. To have a God who hurts and hopes and calls us to have courage. The prayer of a rabbi and a United Church of Christ minister. Thanks. Thanks. Be to God. Every day for 12 years that they could possibly manage it, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and the Reverend Reinhold Niebuhr walked in Riverside Park. They walked and they talked. As we walk through life, find a partner to walk with. Have someone be with you. Walk With God, as we go forth this day as friends, hoping and healing for the healing of the nations. Amen.